0: Our scripture reading for today is from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, Who appointed me judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what your, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. To
1: God. Pray with me. God and Father, be with us now. We dig into your word speak to us convict us grow us by your holy spirit though. We're sinful people Speak through me though. I'm a sinful man as I seek to proclaim your word Amen There is a famous Graduation speech by the late author david foster wallace that he starts off with this story Where he just says there's these two fish that are swimming along through the ocean and they run across an older fish say hello and the older fish just says how's the water to them and then they swim on for a little while and one of the fish stops and looks at the other and says what is water and the point that david foster wallace makes from that story is simply to say that it is normal for us when we are deep in the middle of something when we're swimming in something to not actually think about it or even know that it's there that the water to a fish or like the air around us as human beings It is easy to forget that it is all around us And I was thinking about that because I think it's very easy for us in our world to fail to appreciate just how crazy Our relationship to money and possessions is and so maybe to give a little perspective Imagine that you lived here 150 years ago say right this is like little house on the prairie times, but Here's the question if you were living here at that time in history how often would you be engaging in buying and selling and thinking about you know buying and selling stuff the answer for most people in that era was a couple of times a year you would go into town maybe once or twice a year to trade your goods at the general store and pick some things up and maybe there'd be like a peddler that came through on his cart and offered you some stuff once or twice and you might engage in a little commerce then Even if you lived in town, it would maybe be like once every week or two. And interestingly, even in cities back 100, 150 years ago, it was actually seen as dehumanizing and dirty to engage in too much commerce. So places would keep tabs, and you would only go and actually like pay for stuff, maybe once a month or once every couple months, because if you did it every time you like went into the coffee shop, it was seen as somehow wrong. If you were a kid, maybe you got a penny for Christmas, but that was the only money you would see until you were an adult. I tried to count last week and I stopped after 25 (laughs) financial transactions that I engaged in in the last week, right? Between Amazon and the grocery store and the gas station and drive-thrus and stuff online, you know, financial stuff with, you know, with different investments and things. And 150 years ago, if you engaged in 25 financial transactions in a week, that meant that you were a banker, But today, right, that is just completely normal for us as Americans. And I say that not to idealize the past. Certainly, greed and anxiety about material possessions was always a struggle, which is why Jesus talks about it. But I say that because I just think it's important for us, as we hear what Jesus says in this passage, to recognize we live in an ocean of money and materialism and wealth ...and greed in a way that nobody ever in history and most people still today in many parts of the world could not imagine. And I think a lot of times we don't even notice it or think about it. I'm always struck when people talk about the great sins and struggles of America... By the fact that greed is not one of the top couple of things that we list, even though I think that for most people, if they looked in at our society, they would be really struck by the consumerism, the the going to the malls as a hobby, (laughs) you know, and just the the things like that. And even a lot of the things that get listed on those, like, great sins of society, right? Um, Things like abortion or racism or pornography. I'm always struck by the fact that we never talk about how much money is intertwined with that, that those things wouldn't exist if there weren't people trying to make money, off of them. And again, I'm not saying that up front to beat us up. We're going to talk about it, and, and I say it knowing that, man, I am swimming in those waters too, just as much as any of us. But I say it because I want us to make sure that we have that on our minds as we then hear Jesus speak to how we think about money and material possessions. Because this is something that we need to hear, and we especially need to hear it because I think it's easy for us to lose sight about how... Abnormal and deep this struggle is for us. And so what we're going to see this morning, we're just going to look at two things. First, this warning from Jesus about how money can trap us, and then three truths that Jesus gives to help free us from that trap. First, the trap of money. So start in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So it starts with an inheritance dispute. And we should note, this is, it's, it's easy for us to miss this. This is actually a really problematic and unjust thing for this guy in the crowd to do. Um, I mean, there's clear inheritance laws in israel and there are courts that are there to settle inheritance disputes And instead of using any of that this guy goes to this celebrity preacher And tries to get this celebrity preacher to settle it for him and he does it in a way It's clear his brother, you know, is not here His brother's not on board and he doesn't even ask jesus for his thoughts, right? He just says jesus come take my side in this inheritance dispute. So that's problematic And jesus first points out that he has no business doing that because he's not a judge or arbitrator But then he starts speaking to the heart in verse 15. He says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus warns about coveting, which is desiring things that don't belong to us in an unhealthy or destructive way. He warns about coveting because coveting is one of the Ten Commandments that greed really falls under. And he reminds them of the underlying problem with it, which is that our life is not measured by or made up of the things that we possess. That our life is not measured by or made up of the things that we possess. And then to illustrate that, he tells this story. Let's read it. It's a little long, but he says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So this guy has this great harvest. And he says, well, I'm going to build big barns to store the harvest in. And then he says, all right, now I'm set. I'm going to relax and eat and drink and be merry. Now, of course, Jesus is about to say that there's something wrong with this guy's attitude. And we should probably pause and ask, what's wrong with this guy's attitude? Because I think that can be puzzling for us. It's certainly not the abundant harvest. That's a gift of God. And it's probably not the building of barns to store the harvest in. I mean, the book of Proverbs would probably commend that kind of wisdom. But instead, there's something about what the guy says. Where he says, self or soul, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry something there that's problematic. And Jesus tries to point it out in the next verses. It says that God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I think Jesus is really pointing out two issues here. First, on the surface level, he is just pointing out that reality that our life does not consist in what we own in the sense that our material possessions can't solve our mortality. That you can't take it with you, as people are fond of saying. That's certainly one level of the story. But on a deeper level, I think that what Jesus is reminding us is that our life does not consist in what we own by that warning about laying up treasures for ourselves while not being rich towards God. Which is to say that all, in all of this, wealth man, this wealthy man's attitudes, both the blessings that he receives from God and what he does with those blessings, it is himself and not God and God's calling on his life that is the thing that's in view, right? His conclusion of what he should do with God's blessings is relax and eat and drink and throw a party. It's a position of absolute selfishness. In scripture, wealth and money are seen as dangerous for two reasons. They can be blessings too, we'll get there, but they're seen as dangerous for two reasons. One is because they can blind us. They can blind us to our true condition. So for example, in Revelation 3, it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wealth blinds us because it keeps us from recognizing the truth of our condition it keeps us from facing the consequences of our actions it's easy to think you haven't done anything very bad when every bad thing that you've done you've been able to just kind of pay your way out of and it blinds us by making us feel to have to confront the kind of gnawing sense of uneasiness and sadness and emptiness in our souls that you might be living a purposeless, meaningless life, but as long as you're spending it sitting on beaches, sipping on drinks, you can kind of forget about the meaninglessness at the center of things. It blinds us. But wealth also distracts us. And I think that's what Jesus is especially warning against here. It distracts us from the things of God. That's what Jesus means in Matthew 6, where he says, no one can serve two masters For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is using an image there to say, like, being a servant was a full-time job, right? Which is why you weren't a servant in two different households. You couldn't tell your master, like, you know, I'm not going to be able to cook dinner right now. I've got other commitments. I'm sorry. And so Jesus is, is speaking to a heart reality, but also a real practical reality which is that there's only so much time and energy we have, and that there is a tendency of wealth and money and material possessions to suck away that time and money in a way that keeps us from having it available to give to God. And this is a challenging reality, so I just want to name up front, right? What's tricky about this topic is that Working a job is obviously not wrong or somehow inherently unspiritual In fact, we're told that we can work as to the lord and that he's pleased with our hard work and service We're created to work in the world to his glory And enjoying possessions isn't inherently wrong either God gives us blessings and it's appropriate for us with thankfulness in our hearts to enjoy the things he gives But there is a way of relating to them That crowds out god and that causes us to live in a way of ultimate bondage those possessions. That's kind of what happens here. That this guy is. It, it, it can happen in two ways. It's that you both, both the getting of stuff and the enjoying of stuff can kind of soak up our time and our energy and affections in a way that distract us from God. The getting of stuff, in the sense of, right, the, the eighty-hour work weeks, the you know the the investing of time in that, but also the the, the having of stuff, and we we need to name that because. I often worry that there is a version of the American dream that we've bought that actually causes us to buy into just that kind of pattern, right? That it's like what you do is you work really hard all week and play on the weekend. And you work really hard for 40 years and then you play in retirement. And that work and play um, both kind of like keep us from actually pouring our lives into the things of God. That it is possible if you really buy into that and say, yes, that's the good life to work and to play. And that kind of takes over your vision For you at the end of it to arrive at a place where you are well off in terms of worldly positions and poor in terms of God. So wealth can trap us in that way. But what do we do about that? Because again, it's harder than we just said because of what I also said a minute ago, right? That biblically also work is a good calling from God and we can enjoy the material things he gives. And so the answer is not simple. It's not to just become a monk, right? I think that's what we all kind of, on some level, feel like we should be doing, is just sell all your material possessions and go live in a cell somewhere. It's not not to have a cardboard box for your house. Wealth can also be a blessing, but it can trap us. And so what do we do? Well, I think what Jesus does here in this text is sort of a version of what we talked about last week, if you were with us. Last week we said the thing about sin— is that you don't fight sin by just trying to stop sin. You fight sin by positive truths and positive practices that help push back against it. And in what follows this story, I think Jesus gives us three positive practices, three things to seek to do in our lives that can help us to push back against that trap of money and wealth. And the first of those is to see and savor God's generosity first practice is to take the time to see and savor God's generosity. If you pick up in verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on it, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So Jesus boils down our kind of Anxiety and attachment to material possessions to two of the basic building blocks, right? Food and clothing. Obviously, there's other things, but he uses those as the two images, and then he speaks to each of those. First, with food, he says, "...consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds?" Which is to say, you think about a bird, right? Where does its food come from? Well, it's just flying around in the air and it sees it on the ground and it flies down and eats it and that's how it gets fed My grandparents would always say that money doesn't grow on trees, right? Lots of people say that but you know, what's crazy about the world is that food grows on trees Right apples and oranges and bananas and coconuts and all of that They just they just grow there and you can go take them I mean My apologies to the couple of us here that are farmers, not to minimize your work. But, I mean, we live in a world where you just take these little seeds and you stick them in the dirt, and you don't have to do anything, and they'll, like, grow into these big plants to make a bunch of food. Now, yes, if you want high yield, you got to do all kinds of stuff. But, but, I mean, sunshine and dirt and water, right, cause, like, all the plants that we do to grow. You know what? If I made a machine that was, like, a solar-powered machine that you put mud in and food came out, I would be a billionaire, right? Like, I would be the the richest guy in the world if I could sell that in stores. But that's the world that we live in. Or maybe, if I can just give one more example of of that world. So cows are big and dumb and smelly. And I apologize again if you are a cattle person. I have worked with cattle, and they are not impressive animals. They just kind of stand there and chew their cud and stare at you. But somehow, from those big, dumb animals, right, we— You get like hamburger and like a dozen different cuts of steak and and you milk it and you drink that And that's delicious and you like churn up that milk and then you spread it on uh, On toast and you like mix it with uh, with with sugar and freeze it and you get ice cream And I mean you boil it and then you let it get moldy and you get cheese (laughs) It's a remarkable world that we live in And then jesus makes the same point about clothing. He says consider the lilies how they grow They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus says, think about people with really fashionable clothes. That is not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. But, you know, there's people at, like, the fa- the fashion galas or or whatever. Think about the the people with really impressive, fashionable clothes. And then go to a florist shop and look at the flowers, right? Look at the, the roses and the peonies and the, the alstroemeria and the daisies. Go look at the flowers and ask yourself which of those is more beautiful. I mean, you just think about, like, like an orchid, all right? I'm gonna, I worked in a floral, at a floral wholesaler for three and a half years when I was young, so this is actually something I do know about, and I love orchids. We had them instead of roses for our wedding because I still worked at the floral wholesaler, and we got really cheap flowers, but I mean, you look at an orchid, right, and, you know, and its texture, and its color, and the complexity, and delicacy of the thing. Jesus is saying, look at, look at those great outfits, and then look at, like, the orchids and recognize one of those took human beings hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars to make and the other one just grows on hills and nobody does anything to cause them to grow and ask yourself which of those is more beautiful and even the best dress at london fashion week which i googled big fashion shows but can even the best dress at london fashion week compare to one of those bunches of flowers in its complexity and beauty. Here's Jesus's first point. We often believe that we live in a world of scarcity. We think we live in a world of scarcity and scarce resources, and that makes us desperate to grab a hold of things and desperate to provide things for ourselves. But Jesus would want to say that instead we live in a world of outrageous generosity. Generosity. We live in a world where food just grows on trees and these beautiful works of art just spring up next to your feet on the ground. And so he would ask us first, why are we spending time chasing stuff that we already have? Like, why is it so important to me that I have this, like, incredible resolution on my TV when I can just walk outside into actual creation and see it with my eyes? Why are we working for what is already abundantly on offer? And then out of that, he would give us our first practice, which is to take the time to see and savor God's generosity. To take the time to actually see and savor it. So like when you sit down for a meal, actually give thanks for God for it. And I don't mean just the like perfunctory like, Jesus, thank you for this food, amen, prayer. I mean, just look at it, and, you know, and and recognize the the beauty of this thing that God's given you, and then let your heart give thanks to him for his generosity. Go for a walk this afternoon and do the same thing. Just doing that will start to free us from the trap of our material possessions. The second practice Jesus gives is to seek God's kingdom. He says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So seek God's kingdom. What does that mean? Well, it means something in terms of our hearts, but it also means something in terms of our schedules. And let's start, actually, with the very practical schedule level. One of the reasons— that we spend money and live lives of bondage to money and material possessions is actually just boredom. I know we like to pretend like none of us are ever bored, but the reality is that we oftentimes end up spending money either just to itself kill our boredom or else because we just desperately need to try to fill our time with something, right? It's the apps that I download for my phone that I never play because I'm like, I have a, an hour. What? This is a problem that I have an hour of free time. It's the way, I mean people like shop for fun it's the way that I you know will get bored at night and then think of something that it would be nice to own and go look it up on Amazon and read the reviews and order it and it comes two days later and I'm like why did I buy this it's really just a product of the fact that we're filling our time with just that activity and and so on a very practical level it's worth spending some time thinking about little spontaneous ways that you can uh, that you can do things for God's kingdom things that are constructive instead just to intentionally I mean I kind of have a list at home, but there's, for all of us, things like just pray for a couple of minutes, or have a spiritually helpful book that you can pick up and read, or just go walk out your door and knock on a neighbor's door and say hello, or call a person that you know that needs encouragement, or, uh, you know, just go see what your kids are doing and intentionally play with them, which is for me and not for all of us, right? Go for a quiet walk around the block. Those are all things you can do to fill your boredom that are actually nourishing to your soul rather than deadening. So it's about our schedules, but it's also about our hearts. And one of the reasons that we buy and consume stuff is boredom. Another one is actually, I think, a deep insecurity that we're trying to address. A deep spiritual need that we're trying to solve. And what I mean by that is that It took me years to even notice this. And maybe you've never thought about this. But it feels, the act of buying something feels good. Yes? There's this rush you get just by seeing this thing that looks desirable, that is not yours, and then making it yours. This almost (laughs) spiritual, like, I now possess this. This has become mine that I think we often use to try to actually fill this sort of insecurity that we feel in our hearts. That we feel weak, or we feel powerless, or we feel like things are meaningless. And in this tiny little way, we can exert our power and our significance over the universe by buying this thing. So Jesus would also call us to name those deeper things going on in our hearts, and to bring those to God as well. To see in him the fulfillment of those insecurities and worries, rather than trying to just medicate them with the act of buying stuff. So seeking God's children, or kingdom, right? Seeking God's kingdom is the second practice. And then one more is showing generosity. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So first let's talk for just a minute about that idea of treasures in heaven. I feel like some Christians use that imagery in kind of weird ways that I don't love. Um, it's this sort of like, you know, if you live well then you're going to get a mansion someday in heaven that you get to live in for eternity. And if you live poorly and are greedy, then you're going to get a shack someday and you're stuck there for eternity. And that's, problem for, that's a problem for two reasons. Um, one is that that way of thinking actually, it doesn't actually challenge our greed at all, right? It's, it's saying like, you know, the problem is that you desire a McMansion in the suburbs on earth. What you, what you really need is to desire a McMansion in the suburbs In heaven and that's somehow like, you know, this baptized greed that you can feel and that's not at all what jesus is saying Right, but it's it's also it misses the theme of god's generosity, right? Jesus says it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom So god is pleased to generously give you his whole kingdom, right? It's not that it's not that you got to worry about living in a shack someday because you didn't send much lumber to heaven Generosity is not about storing up earthly treasures in heaven When Jesus talks about having your treasure in heaven, it's not about storing up earthly treasures in heaven, right? Like mansions and cars. It's about changing our hearts so that we treasure less the things of earth and more the things of heaven. It's about changing our hearts so that we treasure less the things of earth and more the things of heaven. And then practically what Jesus says out of that. Is that one of the best habits to break the power of money over us to set us free from the trap of money Is the habit of giving it away The habit of giving money and possessions away Now absolutely on one level that is why the scriptures talk about tithing and there's this call for god's people throughout the scriptures to give 10 percent of what god gives back to him to support his worship and to care for the poor and needy And that's true. And one of the things you recognize, if you actually spend some time with those texts about tithing in the Bible, is that the point of tithing is not really the 10%. The point is your heart. It's meant to teach you that everything you have belongs to God, and to make you free and generous with all of it. But I also think that because that can become habitual in a, in a way, right? It's especially in our day, it's really easy, like, me to, you know, just have, like, your credit card set to go give all the money that you're going to give, and you don't even think about it month to month. I also think it's practical beyond that 10%, if everything we have belongs to God, to just make a practice of occasional, extraordinary generosity. And and maybe, if I can give—here's here's here's the thing I've tried to do occasionally. It's always tricky when I give these examples. To be clear, I've only done this a few times, and I should do it more. This isn't some great credit to me, right? But— Take, take one of those times when you're thinking about making one of those purchases that you really don't need to make, right? Like 50 or 100 or 200 bucks to get some power tool that you're only going to use once or some outfit that you're only going to wear a couple of times. Just try to keep your eye out, and the next time that you are in that position, right, instead, don't buy that thing first, but take that money and make it your assignment to just show some kind of unexpected random generosity, and what I mean by that is, like, one of the things that I've done— have you ever just left, an, like, a needlessly large tip at a restaurant? Like, you know, like, not because it was really great service, but just you leave, like, $50 or $100 and maybe a little encouraging note of just, like, you know, God loves you or is pleased with your work or something like that, and you make sure that, you know, you leave before they get it, Right? I will tell you what, that is one of the funnest things I have done in my life, right? I mean, and again, I've done it like twice, but, but you know, just to, to recognize the way that you blessed this person and to think about the joy that they had in that, like, I have regretted a lot of random little purchases I've made, and I've never regretted doing that, right? And it doesn't have to be that. Use that money to buy flowers for that elderly widow that lives down the street with no name on it, or buy a gift for someone, or give a single mom, or A young couple, you know, a gift card to go out somewhere nice for dinner. Just take that money and bless somebody with it. Because as you do that, you will recognize you are blessing them, yes. And I just have to say, as someone who is also, especially through Elizabeth's cancer, received a lot of acts of really gracious generosity from different people, that that was a huge blessing to us. I mean, we were so moved to see that. That was how we were able to travel and things in her final two years of life, was we were able to use the money for those experiences But it's also a blessing to give it. It actually, in in a real sense, it's sort of like punching the the power of money in the face, right? It it sort of like puts it back, reeling on its feet. Because what you have in that moment is this experience of seeing the the power, not of getting something, but of giving what you have away. So that's Jesus' calling. We need to beware of the trap of our wealth. And we need to fight it by seeing and savoring God's generosity in the world around us, by seeking his kingdom, and by showing generosity. As we close, what I want to do is try to just articulate one of the hard things for us in our world is that, like we said at the beginning, it's the water we swim in. It's hard to see a different way of living. So let me try to tell you just one story that happened to me personally that I think about often in terms of just like, there is another way to relate to this stuff we have. And I'm not saying this is the perfect example, but it's one that I always think about. Um, so there's this family back in Nebraska where Elizabeth and I are from that we're dear friends with. And uh, the parents who are, their kids are like our age, and you know I'm friends with them, but I'm also friends with their parents who were missionaries for two decades and um, and really just in general live this very different way of relating to their possessions than than I do, than most of us do. But I was, I specifically think a lot, and I've told this story to a few of you, but I don't think I've used it in a sermon, about a couple years ago, Elizabeth and I and the kids were back in Lincoln, which is where we're from, and the thing about going back is that because of Elizabeth's cancer and, you know, terminal diagnosis, lots of people would ask us, like, well, are you going to move back, right? You know, are you going to move back to be by family, and, you know, if you want to move back, we'd love to, and we would always give them the same answer, which is, we'll see what the Lord does in the future, but for now, like, we feel really called here, and Jesus is really providing, and we love the place we are, so no, we're not going to move back. But anyway, we were back in Lincoln, and we were visiting the Taylors, and uh, the, the the parents, um, and then their kids that we're friends with were at their house too, and the, the mom stopped us um, as we were just talking about some stuff, you know, about cancer and some stuff, because they were asking questions, and she's like, What if you just didn't go back to Illinois and instead you stayed here? And so I immediately launched into the spiel that I just gave about our sense of calling and stuff like that because I thought she was asking what everyone else asked us. And she stops me in the middle. She's like, no, no, no. What I mean is we will give you our house. We've talked about it. And right now, today, you say the word and we will move out. If it takes years, that's fine. We're going to go live with our kids. We've already discussed it. Just You can live in our house (laughs) for as long as you need. And obviously we didn't take them up on that offer, right? But, um, but I was so struck by that because that was just so different than the question that other people had asked, right? Lots of people are, were like, we care about you. Or, We'd like to have you around. But they had already talked through, like, no, you can just live in our house. And that's the way, in a lot of ways, that they would relate to that. And the thing about that is, it's that crazy, but that is sort of so beautiful and so Christ-like and so free <laughs> that I'm like, That is the kind of attitude that I want to cultivate, right? That sees the blessings of what God has given and provided for us in those different ways, but that also says they belong to him. And if there are needs, if there are ways that we can serve the kingdom, we're going to use them for that instead. That's what Jesus calls us to seek. And that's what he offers us in himself. Freedom from the stuff, freedom to enjoy it as it's appropriate, and freedom to bless others and serve him with it because he is generous and he's given us his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I always feel convicted sitting in topics like this one. I can't come to you pretending like I or any of us um, are exemplary in this. Some of us are further and closer to Jesus than others, but all of us, Lord, still wrestle with the temptations to serve money the distractions of material possessions and wealth. Pray that you'd forgive our sins and thank you that you are a generous God who graciously does forgive. And I pray that by your spirit, you would be at work in our hearts, teaching us in little ways to take the next steps of growing in freedom and generosity and love of you and valuing of your kingdom. Lord, make us a people that worships you more than any material thing, that sets our hearts on you, so experiences the life of the kingdom that is yet to come and shows that life to the watching world. Pray all of this in your name.